the people understand that common interest in some way, shape, or form. And whether that's humor or whether that's serious stuff with facts and things that like, you know, drive it home to people, that's the process. And I think that's, it seems like a long, lengthy process, but it's doable. And when you put that time and that energy into it, you can create these amazing campaigns with people that will resonate with the crowd you're trying to get to, you know, and that's, and that's, like I said, like there's only been a handful of people that really got that. And whether that's the ad agency directing it or whether that's the company doing it, I don't know. But I've had some great success with sponsors out there and companies that I was just like, dude, this is amazing. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Ryan Nyquist, uh, BMX Olympic coach, legend in the action sports world, 16 X Games medals. I don't know. What else, Ryan? <laughs> I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. There's an SP award in there. There's... You know, whatever. It doesn't even matter at this point. Yeah, I've done I've done a lot of stuff. Let's just say that. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, um, talking about the Olympic thing, um, you know, so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or business leaders trying to do something innovative, trying to, to push what they're doing to the next level. You know, with this being the first time having the BMX sport in the Olympics, can you talk about um, can you talk about the business of action sports and and then maybe we'll jump into the Olympic side or, or we can start there. What do you what do you think this means for the sport? You and I both started doing this uh, decades ago. Uh, you you took it a little farther than me, just like slightly farther, but um, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what what does the Olympics mean to you for for this sport and in general? Well, you know, before it even got announced that it was going to be officially in the Olympics, like I saw this as a pretty amazing opportunity. So if you want to rewind, kind of saying like a decade or two ago when X Games kind of first came on the scene, um, that was huge for, you know, not just BMX freestyle, but skate, you know, eventually moto. You know, there's there's a lot of sports that benefited from kind of ESPN jumping in and putting us like on TV on, you know, major primetime hours and eventually growing uh, or allowing us to grow with them and them growing with us. Um, it put this, I mean, amazing emphasis on our industry that just made just a, such a huge boom, probably one of the biggest booms we've ever had as far as sales and money and sponsorships. Like it was crazy. So if, you know, for me, the Olympics is almost like our second coming of like X games, you know, granted, you know, people have compared X games to the Olympics in the past and they're like, Oh, it's our, our Olympics is the X games, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, whatever it may be, I'm just excited that in in my mind's eye, it's like the Olympics is the highest level sport you can get to. You know, there is no higher. International, so the fact global. that they've, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I mean, it it truly brings it to the world stage. You know, it, it I guarantee you, it's going to bring eyes on it that have never seen it before, or maybe not familiar with it, or maybe it might ignite a passion into them. You know, I think the business side of it is, you know, our demographic is super young, a lot younger than I think most that watch the Olympics. So, you know, when you look at what they did with snowboarding, that was their attempt of bringing a younger crowd to watch the Olympics. And it worked, you know. So I think in that same sense, they're trying to grasp onto a younger demographic to tune into the Olympics. Um, I think that's perfect for us, you know, because I think that if we can get eyes on people that it might inspire them to get on a bike and 
try out park. Maybe it's not park. Maybe they want to do dirt jumping. Maybe they want to ride vert. I mean, my main thing is I just want to get kids on bikes. I feel like it's such a, a powerful thing for people to try. You know, it's these life lessons that I've learned. I would love for kids to kind of experience, you know, falling down and getting back up and trying it again. Like just the real basic stuff in life that I don't know if people are really getting that much of, you know, I'm a big person on passion. So if they can find a bike and find a passion, then I'm, I think that the world could be a better place. I think BMX freestyle could be a better place. Um, but for me, the Olympics, that's what my hope is, is that it brings, you know, awareness to it. It breathes life into the industry. It gets people on bikes. It gets them healthy. I mean, there's so many like different things that can come of this. I'm just excited to see what actually happens. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting like when you and i met at the the woodward park city grand opening and then i'm you know i'm on youtube and i'm seeing you taking your son to woodward right mm -hmm. and you think about there's such cool there's so many cool people in that room with you and matt hoffman and tony hawk and everybody right and you mm -hmm. know i got chances to talk to ken block and you know john you know the ceo of powder and all the woodwards right mm -hmm. um in your mind thinking about the business of action sports where you know for me and my friends, like the cool thing was making sure we didn't have any clothes from the gap or, you know, the regular mm -hmm. consumerism, right? It was mm -hmm. this counterculture kind of thing. And yet, you know, now there is big money involved. And um, can you talk about the, I don't know, I, I was listening to another interview of yours when you were saying you wanted to get involved in the Olympic stuff because you didn't want somebody just scooping in for the money and not making mm -hmm. it authentic. Can you yeah. talk any advice for folks who are interested in the business side of action sports and it's, you know, staying with the roots enough to resonate with the actual people doing it, but yet bringing mm -hmm. the professionalism that you can get money from Coke or Pepsi or something? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think a lot of that is, you know, kind of image, you know, from the athlete side, you know, everybody talks about having your own brand and you see a lot of that on Instagram where they're kind of promoting themselves and the people that they partner with, you know. Um, I think a lot of these people that want, you know, like maybe it's big brands that want to get involved, like, you know, for years and years and years, I wrote for Adidas, you know, and that was an example of, I, I thought they did it perfect. You know, they, they activated themselves with sponsorships with like X games, which at the time was the biggest event, but they didn't just like sponsor the event and put their banners on the side of the course. And that was it. Like they took it to the next level and they took, you know, myself and Dave Mir at the time and they did these really cool commercial pieces. So instead of them just putting a generic commercial with their logo on it, like they activated with the riders, they activated with Dave and I, and we did these really awesome commercials that to this day, people still come up and tell me they remember that one because it was hilarious. And I'm like, yeah. So, okay. Fast forward like 15 years. I haven't been for Adidas for that long. People still remember that, you know, and that's, when you talk about these companies that come in, like, you know, they do these insanely awesome campaigns that people remember, you know, it's not just a sticker on the helmet. It's like, you know, if you're going to put that money forward, go all in, you know, like figure out what athlete you want to work with, figure out what you're trying to get across and team up with the right person that has the right attitude, the right brand, the right image, and then figure out how you work together to make it amazing, you know? And I've had sponsors where the second I signed the deal, I knew that it wasn't going to be around for a long time because they were just thinking of that two dimensional. Let me just get a spot on his helmet. Oh, there's our logo. Okay. We can translate that TV time into dollars and great. That was a great decision. Cool. And then, you know, when the next CEO comes up, he's like, what are we spending this money in, in action sports for? Okay. Well, let's just put it on NBA. And it's just like, and that's happened, you know, like where it's like, okay, like nobody activated anything, you know? So from the business side, I've always loved the sponsors and the companies that come in and like, 
hey, like we want to invest in you. Like, let's figure out how we do this the correct way rather than just like having our logo on you, you know, because there's a way to do things where it seems authentic and it seems like, you know, there's a partnership there and the athlete believes in the product or whatever it is and vice versa, like the company believes in the athlete. And if you can find that way to do it, you're going to have great success. And hopefully that means you have long-term partnerships with the same people and you grow together, you know? And to me, that was always, you know, myself with Adidas, uh, myself with Oakley years ago, like there was such good chemistry between myself and the company that it just, it, it made a lot of sense. It made people see that it made a lot of sense. And that came across as genuine, yeah. you know, instead of just having like a sticker there to say, oh, well, I can see that he's promoting that brand, but is he like, does that athlete really care? You know, and it's like, I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, you got to pay the bills. And there's, like I said, there's definitely deals where I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, what is this? Some kind of internet company? They're doing websites. I mean, this is back in, you know, I was like, oh, they want to do a website with me. Okay, cool. Like, you know, not fully understanding it, but you know, then you fast forward to Adidas where they spent so much time just getting us involved in the brand and, and then being involved with us. Like, you know, that's when I think that, you know, I see these relationships, even modern day, it's like, dude, they're killing it because they're, they're pushing their athletes out there. You know, they're helping them grow and that in sense in return helps them grow. You know, I, I feel like there's so many good things packed in there. Um, and I'd love to drill down on it just, just a little bit. So I'm thinking about, you know, when I was a kid watching the movie rad, like, so many mm -hmm. times we wore out the tape, renting it from Seven Eleven, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and and the kind of folks that were involved then versus you know like you look at the you look at the drink companies, the rock stars, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know I don't know I remember I remember when that became a thing and all of a sudden those stickers started showing up, right? And we're, I was kind of mm -hmm. like, what what does this have to do? What does this have anything to do with this, right? Mm -hmm. At first, and then <clears throat> they stayed. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't the pop in and pop out. And I mean, in some ways, they've almost become synonymous with action sports because they have stayed so much and they have let folks like you guys do some pretty interesting things with their with their advertising dollars. Um, mm -hmm. I guess my my thought is, let's say some other industry wants to come into the sport. I want to know what kind of advice you have. So, for instance, we're, you know, we're getting ready to launch our real estate investment trust, right? Super mm -hmm. boring. Just, you know, it's it's we're trying to design it so it can be like long-term income that investors, you know, don't have to think, don't have to think hard about, like, you're not going to lose your money. Right. So it's not mm -hmm. your, it's not your exciting investing in Google. Right. And once I get permission from the securities commission to market this to the general public, I would love to get out to all the guys our age who actually now we're 40 and have to think about a retirement. Right. Mm -hmm. So nobody thinks about boring investments having anything to do with action sports, even though like, so many of the snowboarder buddies I know are, are, are older, you know, and mm -hmm. they do need to yeah. do this. So knowing that this is an industry that's almost like antithetical. I mean, all my skate, skateboard friends growing up didn't want anything to do with a suit their own or anyone else's, right? Yeah. So if you had advice for somebody like us coming into action sports, what, is, what are some of the models that you've seen work as far as, you know, getting to know the athletes slowly and letting them make choices or, or whatever you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you, if you could find, you know, an athlete that has that kind of shared interest, you know, like, I mean, if, if you, if you were searching on Instagram and you saw somebody that was like actively purchasing properties or like, you know, talking about something like that, like that's a natural thing to move into because what that business is doing, what the athlete is doing, they're speaking the same language. You get them together. And here's where it gets tough is like, how do you create that campaign or what, you know, the activation. So that way, 
the rest of the world sees it and understands it. Doesn't you know, look I mean, like a sellout. Exactly, and make it authentic. And so, like, what what that what has to go along with that is like, you know, I've always loved humor. I think that humor, you get these amazing messages like across that stick with people. I mean, a perfect example: Geico Insurance, right? There's a gecko. It sounds like Geico, but like those commercials are hilarious. The caveman, like they they <laughs> kill it because they humor, and you it makes you remember like the camel on you know on Hump Day. It's just like these ridiculous things, but like they've tied into something that resonates with people. And now Geico people know because these commercials and stuff like, you know, what is it? Uh, see, I'm gonna have a problem here, but like insurance company with the NFL guy that played for the Broncos and you know, he sings the tune nationwide. It's on your side. Like those commercials are funny, you know? And so I know nationwide because they've worked with, again, I'm not <laughs> I'm trying to think of his name. Yeah, don't worry. Um, yeah, but it's, but it's just like stuff like that where it's like, okay, well, yeah, you can have a common interest, but like, how do you reach the rest of the people? You know, like, you know, if I'm in investing and you have a company and we can sit there and talk for days and just talk about, about like why we have this common interest, but you have to have the people understand that common interest in some way, shape or form. And whether that's humor or whether that's serious stuff with facts and things that like, you know, drive it home to people, that's the process. And I yeah. think that's, it seems like a long lengthy process, but it's doable. And when you put that time and that energy into it, you can create these amazing campaigns with people that will resonate with the crowd you're trying to get to, you know, and that's, and that's, like I said, like there's only been a handful of people that really got that. And whether that's the ad agency directing it or whether that's the company doing it, I don't know, but I've had some great success with sponsors out there and companies that I was just like, dude, this is amazing. Like they, they get me, they're understanding me. They're running things by me. We're talking communication lines are open. It's just like, you know, it makes you feel like you're a part of it rather than you just sign like a two year deal and you're waiting for it to run out, you know? And that's, I've had, you know, my bike company sponsor, Haro bikes, like, I consider them family, you know, 23 years deep, we've had ups and downs and we have arguments, we have great agreements and we've had great success and some flops and stuff. But like the whole time, I never thought that I was in jeopardy because even though it was like a high or low or the ebb and flow, it's like, we still had this great relationship that we were working together, you know, and we understood each other. And every time we had a high or low, it just built that bond even better, you know, because we didn't follow out communication. We kept talking. We kept throwing ideas against each other. So it's like, you know, all this stuff takes time, but I think all great things take time too. You know, like Geico, you know, they didn't start by just being this super funny insurance company. They had to get to that point. They had to have those failures. They had to have those successes to build it. So again, like, you know, we talked about like the kid that wants to get in and start making money. Well, you know, it's a long haul. You got to establish yourself. You have to, you know, have people understand your style, your brand, get to know you. And that takes time. So I think for these brands that want to come in and make, you know, like an impression, like, you know, expect to do it for four or five, 10 years. If you want it to be something that makes sense, you know, the, the, the one-year deals where they sign off, if you're just looking to get your stuff out there, I mean, yeah, do it. Like, that's great. I mean, athletes need that kind of support too. But if you want something to grow with an athlete, you think that, or even if it's a personality, whatever it is, you got to invest the time. It's going to take time for people to understand that, you know, you're working together. You know, um, staying on that topic, that, that topic of the endurance, right, to like mm-hmm. – grow enough myelin in your brain to have the skill set or whatever it is right yeah Um, what kind of things have you told yourself like over the career when it was hard um or you're you know you're switching to mountain biking and you're like man i'm already a big deal in bmx why am i trying this why am i working so hard at this you know like 
Mm-hmm. I don't think everybody knows about years when you won every single BMX competition that you entered, you know, and now yeah, you're, yeah. you know, a decade later, you're basically trying a new sport. And like you said, having a rough first year, what, mm-hmm. what's your self-talk? What do you, what does it sound like when you're saying, man, this sucks and I'm going to be willing to keep sucking at it. Even if everybody, everybody <laughs> else thinks I'm crazy. Like, yeah, what um, is that? that's, that's a, <laughs> That's a hard thing to do because, you know, there's ego involved, there's reputation and stuff. And, and yeah, it's, it's, a uh, that's, that's a tough one to answer because it's a lot of it is just like self-motivated, you know, it's like you're, you're out there and you're working hard for these scraps, you know, and, and on the other, you know, if you want to look at it, like BMX is one plate and mountain bike is another, like my plate was full. Like I had this great reputation, you know, like people liked me being out there on the BMX bike. I had a history, I had great results i had endorsement deals and then all of a sudden i was like oh well it's that plate over there it's empty well okay like i want to see if i can fill that one up or i want to see if i what i can do over there and and then what about when it stops being exciting and it starts sucking? how do you keep going then (laughs) yeah that's that's it i mean that has to do with that burnout thing we were talking about before too. But I mean, also it's like, you got to weigh it out, you know, like you got to weigh it out if it's worth it, that risk versus reward thing, you know? And I had many moments where like, you know, sitting at the, at the dinner table with my wife going like, ah, like what if I piss off rockstar? What if I piss off this company that, you know, has been with me because I'm, you know, been doing great at BMX and I have this reputation. Well, like, what if they don't want me to do this, but my heart is telling me to, to do this. Like, what if, and, and I had to kind of like weigh that out, you yeah. know, and well, I had to do it the right way that what was going to work for me. And yeah, what ultimately helped you decide, nope, we're going to keep doing it for now? Yeah, um, for me, I'm big on passion, you know, and if my heart is telling me that I want to do something, I can't ignore that. Because at the end of the day, if if I'm just seriously thinking about this this path that I want to go down and, I, and my heart is in it and my head can't get over it and it won't stop letting me think about it, like I'm essentially curbing my own growth, my own self. You know, and I think back to like when I first got on the bike, how passionate I was about BMX because it was so exciting. Like, had I said, hey, you know what? Just do soccer instead because I don't think this is going to go anywhere. You know, don't worry about it. It's not going to go anywhere. Just just try to forget about it. You know, it's like, well, where would I be? You know, like, I don't know. But I had to take that chance to go down that path. I mean, so it's a tough one, but I am just such a big proponent of passion and finding a passion and then pursuing that passion with everything you have. And I think that's how a lot of successful people got to the, the, where they're at. They were relentless. They they had to like you know, <laughs> like walk through the gutter and you know have these bad moments and all this stuff to get where they're at now. And that's kind of, I mean, a lot of these topics kind of come back to you know it takes a long time to build something. You know, whether that's your career, whether that's a company, whether that's you know a product. It's just like it takes a long time. It takes failures. It takes questioning yourself. It takes you know like successes and then failures again and you know so for me like when I decided to make that switch I knew it could potentially hurt me you know but at the same time I couldn't get it out of my head that I wanted to try you know and so I gave it a shot and I had to have these conversations that I thought were scary with these sponsors that said hey dude like I kind of want to just focus on this what do you think you know and here's what here's my plan and I I I I just laid it out and I held my breath and luckily everybody was cool with it. But it could have been that, you know, I had one that was like, no, dude, like that's not what we're doing here. And then I had to make a choice. Like, is my, is my passion worth giving up this sponsor? Is my passion worth, you know, like what I'm going to lose? Which it's so, so easy. For me, it's so easy to be like, 
And then I would for sure go with my passion, right? But it's a real decision when you've got a wife and kids to support, and it's not just the easy choice at all times, right? Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, that, and that was honestly the biggest weighing factor with me. It was just like, okay, if I lose this, like, the sponsor, you know, like that's that's like half my income. What am no, I going to do? What? Like, am I that sh- am I am I that sure that I'm going to kill it in this sport that I could pick up another sponsor? You know, in my head, I'm like, oh, like it's bikes, and you know, maybe I can maybe I can do well enough here, and then year two, you know, like maybe someone would see the value. And guess what, dude? Like, I didn't pick up any sponsors really from mountain bike world. I think I picked up one. It was FSA, like, which is like headsets and some components and they've been great. But you know, like those major deals that you see coming out, like those go to people that put in 10 plus years, you know, and they have a following there. Like I had a following because people kind of knew my name, but it wasn't like I was going to sell mountain bikes any harder because all of a sudden I decided to jump in there. No, like, (laughs) you know, like it was, I learned that out the fact too. It's like, yeah, I, I did a great crossover, but you know, all these brands that I was working with, they weren't willing to jump in head first with me just because of my name and what I did in BMX. Like yeah. I had to prove myself in mountain biking, you know, and, and I was just getting, you know, my, my feet wet in that industry. And that was even after three years. And that was after being on podiums and doing well yeah, and yeah. doing interviews and having these amazing pieces. Like, dude, I wasn't even there, you know, like, and that's what people don't see is like, you know, yeah, I could, I could have risked a lot by just trying to go down this thing. But I, I pursued my passion because at the end of the day, I needed to be able to like be happy. You know, yeah. like well, and- I needed to be happy, you know, and, and I think like had I stuck with that and I was like, you know what, like, I think I'm done with BMX. I'm just going to do this. Yeah, dude, I could have I could have gotten, you know, like it would have been starting over, but I think I could have done something in the industry. You know, when we talk about sponsorship stuff, I think it would eventually roll in. But I might have had a few years where I'd have to look at my wife in the eye and be like, hey, you know, maybe we need to sell our car. <laughs> you know, like yeah. maybe we need to think about doing this because I'm starting over in this industry that, you know, but this is my passion. You know, and that's luckily I didn't have that. I had to have that conversation. But that's that's for real. It's just like nothing comes fast and nothing comes easy. And if it does, don't expect it to last long. Yeah, that's great words of wisdom. Well, you know, I'm looking at your 107,000 Instagram followers and stuff like this, right? Can you talk about choosing then to come back to BMX and then, you know, the possibility of people, you know, maybe chattering or like, you know, hey, well, he couldn't make it in the mountain bike, so he came back. Or do you mean like any of the fears that might have occurred at the like, what does it look like now that I switch back? And like, even if you you know you need to that facing the now I'm changing again. Do people think I'm flip flopping or you know like I I don't know if you even had those fears. But can you talk about can you talk about now going back again and what that choice was like? Yeah, I mean I mean as far as fears for making that move, I was really really concerned that people thought I was just retiring for BMX. Mm. And that was that was honestly like validated because a lot of people were like, oh, you still ride BMX? And I was like, man, like, uh, yeah, but, you know, and that's <laughs> on my part. Like, I don't know if I could have been prepared to, like, combat that kind of idea unless I, you know, basically like created some full on like, you know, media assault where it's like Ryan Nyquist is not retiring. Ryan Nyquist is pursuing another passion. He's still going to be doing this. And I, and I didn't. But I just assumed that people would have the idea that, hey, he's just going to try something different. Like, and I found out that like people <laughs> generally, they, they think in like one dimensional, it's like, well, you can only be good at one thing, you know? And I was like, wow, that's really crazy because the fact that I'm doing okay in this other sport doesn't mean I want to quit BMX. It just means that I'm kind of interested in this right now. But like in their mind's eyes, it's just like, no dude, you're done. Like you're, you're doing something different. You're done with our sport. And I had to like basically convince people that, no, I'm not done. I'm just I'm really interested in trying this, you know, I'm really interested in doing this. Um, 
So there was a big fear with like, and the other part too is my age. Obviously it's, it seems ridiculous for, you know, at the time a 37 year old to, to stop doing what he's been doing his whole life <laughs> and then decide that he wants to do something kind of even gnarlier, you know, like that's not the, the most <laughs> safest move if you will. Um, but, but, and that's probably why it was so hard for people to believe too. And I think in, in our sport too, and this kind of goes against me as well, is that most people that, you know, kind of get done with BMX, they start riding mountain bike because you have the suspension and it's mm-hmm. cushier and you're not doing the stuff. But I wasn't just riding, you know, these downhills and stuff and just having a great time. It was like I was jumping these 40 foot gaps and, you know, 20 foot drops and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there was like, I think that goes along with the whole, it would have taken a lot of time for people to realize that like, I wasn't making like a safer move. I was making a move that was, I don't know, like I was pursuing passion, but in the end it was making me a better person because you know, that stuff I was doing was pushing my comfort level to another level, you know? So when mm-hmm. I jumped back on a BMX bike, all these ramps seemed teeny, they seemed so small. It was crazy. And so like, <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, that I realized like, Oh man, like, you know, like why, why would I be scared about crashing here? When I, when I did the same thing on a 35 foot double where the lip is literally twice as tall as what I'm riding now. It's like, so, you know, backing up, it's like, I had to, I had a lot of people just assume that I was retiring from BMX. And so, you know, hindsight, I wish I would have put a little bit more effort into explaining what I was doing, whether it be through my Instagram or whether it be like, you know, kind of finding people to put out media or interviews to explain to people what I was doing. But I was just, my main concern was like, you know, how fast can I get on that bike? How fast can I start training and making sure that my sponsors understood and hindsight, I probably could have planned a little bit better, but, um, but I mean, it worked out, you know, like I'm still doing what I'm doing. I'm still having fun, but you know, it was literally more of like a passion project for me. You know, I, I had to pursue that passion to make myself happy. Yeah. When you think about just such a standout career, I mean, there's there's been so many great BMX riders in the last 30 years since you started riding. Um, there's been so many great riders, um, and yet mm-hmm. you have reached a level that 99% of them didn't. Um, if there has been something different about you, what do you think it is, or what's different about your mindset or your approach? Um, yeah, that's a tough one, man. I, I think there's probably a couple things. Um, I, I never really followed the trends, so to speak. Uh, you know, like I, I would dabble in it and I'd make little changes to my setup and stuff. But like, if you look at my bike, it's, it looks like it's straight out of 1985. You know, it's got a super high seat <laughs> post. It's got front and rear brakes and the trends are like, you know, no seat posts and no brakes. And so like, I'm kind of doing my own thing and I've been doing my own thing for a long time. And that's a hard thing to do. Like I said, I got ridiculed for a long time for the way I set my bike up or the way I rode my bike. Um, but I stayed the course because it worked for me and I was getting good results. And it maybe wasn't the most popular at certain times, but I stayed that course because that was what was working for me. Um, I think the other thing is that path I took with my riding style was different. And so this is where it gets a little bit complicated, but the things that I was doing on a bike were different than everybody else is doing. It was a lot easier for people to mimic what they saw rather than innovate and create a different path Light, for themselves. Lights, what's an example? Just your bar spin stuff or what's what's a small example there? Um, bar spin stuff was, was always like, you know, and for those that don't know, bar spin is where literally in the middle of the air, you, you kind of throw the handlebars, they spin all the way around or sometimes twice or three times, and then you grab back on before you land. So that was something like that one move was something I adapted to being able to do when I'm spinning, when I'm flipping, you know, like I could just throw them wherever I wanted. And that became kind of like my signature style was I was, I was super bar spin heavy. 
Um, but outside of that, I started exploring with, you know, what you could do in the air while you had front brakes and how that would change, you know, what your bike would do and make things possible. So I started coming up with these tricks and doing these tricks that nobody else was doing. So sometimes that worked with me because it was so original and unique that I got great scores. Sometimes it worked against me because when you're literally like one of a handful of guys in the world are doing these tricks, it's really hard for the judges or the other riders to understand difficulty, things like that. And there's an education process that comes along with that. And unfortunately, part of the education process is you have to like, you know, roll with the punches. You know, there's going to be failures. There's going to be bad scores. There's going to be bad results. And you have to keep going. If that's a path you believe in, you believe it's eventually going to be something. Or if you just believe it's good for you to do that, I had to continue doing that. So so now it's like all these tricks that I fought for them to be accepted are accepted because I've been around for that long and I had this own style of my own that set me apart. Paid so the price long enough. Ride a, yeah, kind of. I mean, you, you kind of have to pay your dues and you have to take your punches. And then I think, you know, like like anything, it just it, I mean, we keep going back to these themes, but it's just it just takes time. You know, like it's it just does. It's very rare when there's like even a trick that I did that was just instantly like, oh, my God, this just works. There were those and that was amazing. But it's just like, you know, those those staple moves I have like now it's just like oh that's your signature move and I was like really okay cool like that that works for me you know but but I had to like stay that path and I had to stay that course and I had to make people kind of almost understand like hey this is what I do like you can love it there was there's another rider um Matt Berenger that um for the longest time just had all these weird ideas and ride weird and he had like a sponsor that was kind of like not well accepted and stuff but he just kept doing it and kept doing it and then eventually he was embraced as like this innovator, you know, and, and people love him and he's such a great guy like he is. But on the bike, it, it took him a while for people to see like, dude, he's super creative. Dude, he's thinking outside the box. Yeah, you're not he's not doing what you're doing, but it doesn't mean that he, what he's doing isn't awesome. You just don't understand it. And it took a lot of people a long time to understand that. And I felt like. I went through a similar process with the stuff that I was doing, you know, like I would get scored bad because my runs were like had a million bar spins in them. They're like, oh, that's all he does is bar spins. Okay, we're going to score him down. Well, it took him a while to see that, hey, it was even though I was just doing bar spins, it was still different than what people were doing. And there was value to that, you know, but it took a, a process. It took time. And. And, you know, that's a hard thing to stomach when you're, you know, you're, want the you're now. feeding up. Yeah. I mean, and, and this day and age too, it's like with social media, you just, you get so much negativity and it's like fed right to your phone and you can, you can see that and you can feel it and you're just like, Oh my God. So for someone to be able to ignore all that and keep pushing, like I, man, kudos. Cause it's tough, dude. Like, I mean, I would hear about it back in the day with, you know, we had limited, you know, stuff being fed to you with our, you know, razor flip phones and stuff, but it was just like, you know, it would still happen and it was through magazines and stuff, but you just, you'd have to realize that like, Hey dude, like one of the most valuable lessons I learned is that a lot of the negativity comes from people being scared or not understanding what you're doing. And if, if you can have that moment where you approach someone, whether it be in person or whether it be on Instagram, like, and you can just say, what's up? Hey dude, let's talk. Let's, you should get to know me. Let's, I want to get to know you. Dude, I've had the most amazing conversations with people that I thought hated me. Mm. I thought they hated me. And like, literally it was just like, I mean, again, this is before social media, but being on a deck with some random kid that 
it took a split second to look at me and I thought his look meant he hated me when his look meant that he just was a little bit nervous about being on the deck with me. And so all it took was to be like, Hey man, what's up? I'm Ryan. And then he'd be like, Oh, I'm, you know, yeah. Charlie or whatever. And he'd be like, Oh, what's up, dude? Of course, pretty sick. huh? And, and you just strike up a conversation and dude, it changes everything. But like this day and age, you know, people hide behind the keyboards and they throw out insults and they want to get a reaction. I've had people on Instagram too, like they were just like, dude, you're washed up. You're so old. This guy's better than you. You should just quit. And literally, I'm just like, how do I want to do this right now? Like, how do I want to approach this? And the best thing I ever did was I just kill him with kindness. And I'm like, hey, man, sorry you feel that way. You know, like I'm just having a good time out here, dude. I wish I wish we could ride together because I feel like, you know, like maybe you're not in a good place. But, dude, I hope you have a great day. You know, like take care. Yeah. And, dude, they, they freak out. They freak out because, dude – they're not expecting that. They're expecting you to get negative too. They're expecting you to be like, hey, dude, screw you, man. You don't know what you're talking about. You're an asshole. You know, it's like whatever. But it's just like, oh, like that that moment where like I get a response to them being like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I had a couple of drinks and I don't know. Dude, I, seriously though, like for real, like you're the best. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. that That's a whole 180 right there. But like, you know, that's, that's the age we live in where unfortunately people go to negativity first. And then if you're not strong enough to say like, this person doesn't know me, this person has never met me. Like, you know, like it doesn't, don't let it bother you. Like if you can do that and you get used to having like stuff, just kind of roll off your shoulders, like you'll, you'll go further than I, I feel like 90% of the people out there because there is so much negativity out there. And if you can let that just slide off of you and keep like your eye on the prize, your the, you know, stay on the path you're going and just keep killing it, dude, you'll go far in life. And that's not just whatever your passion is. Like that's anything, dude. Like if you want to go work for a big company, if you're dedicated, committed, you can let stuff roll off of you and just keep it like, keep like goal focused, goal oriented. Like, dude, people want that in like a worker, in like a company and like a, you know, like a partner. It's just like, that will take you so far in life. It's ridiculous. That's so great. You know, um, Maybe, maybe to wrap up here, um, you're obviously, you know, Olympic coach, all these things that have happened. You've been being interviewed for years. What's something that you don't get asked about that you wish people would, would ask you more about? Oh, um, or just something you're yeah, passionate about? Yeah, I don't know, about? man. I mean, my family, obviously, you know, like, I mean, I, I do get questions asked about them, but you know, it's so, it's so interesting because I find so many parallels in being a professional athlete and like uh, cultivating these relationships and stuff that I like I've learned through the years that have become like kind of second nature like it, it, the same applies for how I raise my kids you know like you you want to work with people that are like respectful and honest and all stuff and it's like yeah I want my kids to be that way so it's like the same way that you know the company wants me to be honest with them and respectful it's like it's it's really strange and that might not be the best example but I'm just there's so many things that I find that are just like oh my gosh like this totally makes sense like you know like m my wife is a studio in in Wilmington North Carolina called Amplify and we've never done anything like that before like owned our own business started our own business and she's killing it she's doing great but our biggest struggle was employees and how to like be a leader and how to like you know like what you should say to people when you know things come up and Dude, it's it's like parenting. It really is. Like you you want to like, dude, I I swear. There's been so many times I'm like literally being like, she's like, how? What should I do? And I'm like, I I think you should do this because you want to tell them in a stern way that there's limits and there's boundaries and they need to stay within those boundaries. But when they're within those boundaries, you can have this really friendly relationship. You don't have to be like a boss lady. But if they cross that line, then you have to tell them that you cross that line. I'm like, wait, this is what we do with our kids. Like when they cross the line, we have to get stern with them. You know, we yeah. have to tell them why it's not okay. But 
that's like the same thing with employees. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. It's just like these life lessons that I've learned through the years. It's like, dude, it, it applies to so many different aspects yeah. of life. And it's all just about being like a good person, knowing your boundaries, being goal oriented, pushing forward, not letting, letting the negative stuff affect you and just being good. You know, and I, I mean, if I want to sum it up in some way, I think that's the perfect way is just be good, be respectful and set goals and just go for it. I love it. Well, let's, let's give a better shout out to your wife's studio. Tell us what the studio does. Is there a website? Is there an Instagram? What's, what's yeah, going it's, it's on there? Amplify. Yeah, it's Amplify. And it's, it sounds like Amplify, like Amplify, but it's Amplify and, uh, it's cycle and strength. Um, she does, I mean, it's been her vision for many years to have her own cycle studio and it's hers, man. And I love it. It's just awesome because it's just like, it's music based, you know, she pours her heart and soul into it. And, and where you know, is it? We got, it's in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. And, um, you know, like I'm down the line, we have goals of, you know, franchise and stuff. But right now it's just like, we had this one location and we're growing and people are finding out about it and they love it. And the thing I love about it, it's, it's completely her and it's not just ownership. I mean, it's like she, she puts her heart and soul in there. Like we had someone that said, Hey, can you give me a personal tour at 5:30 AM? <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? But she's like, yeah, all right, so I'm gonna show up. And it's like, she does it. And she, and she like, she's that person that like opens up to you. And it's like, you know, you feel like she's not just like the studio owner. You feel like she's like one of the people that just get a workout. And I'm like, that's amazing because people gravitate towards people like that, you know, when it's genuine and it's heartfelt, like, and she does that. And that's, that's her passion. And I I realized it a long time ago. I was like, I I, I want her to pursue this. Like I had so many years of pursuing my passion and, and I saw that in her, you know, when she talked about it, she gets so excited. I saw it in her eye. I was like, you need to do this. Like you have to do this because I know like when it was mountain biking, I had to do it. And I was like, you, you need to do this for yourself. And, and whether it's a, a failure or a, a great success, which I truly believe it's going to be a great success. You have to go down this road for yourself because this is what you need to grow as a person. And, and dude, it's been so well received. It's like nothing else we have in Wilmington. It's like, not like the major big box ones, like, you know, like the other cycle studios, it's just, there's a lot of heart behind it. And the people that we hire, we, we ask the same thing of them. So you know, it's just like we've had so many people come in there and be like, I've never been to a place like this. You know, I live in Denver and I was visiting and I just wish we had one in Denver, you know, and it's just like this is so rad. So, you know, if you're ever in the area, please come by, check it out. They did an amazing job with just outfitting it. But like if you get a chance to take a class, like you'll feel it, like you'll feel that energy, you'll feel that like emotion of what she's putting into it. And, you know, like I, I don't know, like I said, I'm a big advocate of passion and there's a lot of passion in that place. I love it. Well, um, thanks for thanks for making so much time for this. This has been great. Yeah, man. Anytime. We should do it again. Maybe, maybe after the Olympics, we'll see how we did. <laughs> yeah, let's plan on it. Let's for sure do it. Um, and okay. everybody, uh, hop on Instagram, at Ryan Nyquist. Uh, check it out. He's got some pretty impressive stuff on here. Thanks, everybody.